Good morning, brothers and sisters. Today I thought I would give an exhortation that was based on the subject of joy. But first, in order to bring that joy into focus, I'd like to talk about what we have at the moment, what the world is like at the moment. And how, given the situation that we're in, we experience joy as the reverse of that. So over the last few weeks and months, I have been engaged in some personal research, some historical research, and some research about what's currently happening in Europe and in other places in the world. And the things which are not reported on. So the things which we don't hear on the news, on the radio or on the television, the things which we don't read in the newspapers, the subtext of our life, as it were. And so I've been particularly looking at the rise of terrorism and the rise of the left wing, those who want to redistribute all of our wealth, those who want to violently repress people with religious belief and who believe in secular values. And I'd like to paint a small picture, and it would be inappropriate for me, by the way, to go into graphic detail this morning, because we're here to remember Jesus. But I do want to paint a small cameo of the kinds of things going on in the UK that we might not be aware of and in the rest of Europe and America. And then hopefully we'll move on from there to what God's answer is to that and how we deal with it in our everyday lives. So over the last six months I've been reading the Quran and I've been studying Muhammad's teachings and his sayings and his way of life and the history surrounding the Islamic religion and the power that it, it was and, and is today really. And in light of recent events, many people are asking around us, who's next? Where will the terrorists hit next? And my answer to that is that if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll find that all over the UK there are thousands, if not tens of thousands, of vulnerable young girls and which are being brutalised by gangs of not extremists, but people who have different culture to ours, people who grew up in Islamic nations where they followed the teachings of Muhammad and quite closely to the letter. And it's not obvious to us what's going on, although my f comments are based on a government report that details these things. So this is not a conspiracy theory, these are hard facts. And surprisingly, what we find is that when people from other cultures come into our country, they bring with them a disrespect for the freedoms which exist in this country. And you and I would also 
look at these freedoms and say they've gone too far. But the difference between us as Christians and the Muslims that live here, the moderate Muslims, is that we don't necessarily seek to change those people by force. Although we may not respect their values, we respect their rights, their God-given right to choose to follow him or not. But that isn't the case with some more extreme believers and followers of Muhammad. And so I would like to draw an analogy, really, between the way that we live as Christadelphians and as general members of the public, where we live in, in houses, we live in communities which are very insular, we have our friends and our families, we go to the shops, we go to work, we watch the television, we have barbecues, we do all the things we do, but beneath our feet, just one or two yards beneath our feet, is an open sewer of which is provided for us to take away our, our waste. And it's something that means that we can live in relative comfort. And this is the analogy I draw, that today, all over Europe, there is a difference between the lives that you and I as middle-class people can live and the lives that very poor people are living. People in poor communities who are experiencing this influx of radical alternative culture. Now I should point out that I am in no way against individual Muslims or Muslims in general. Who would ever be? We, none of us are racist. But I want to draw a sort of picture because I think it's a fulfillment of prophecy. So this picture which I'm painting, a very broad brush picture of tens of thousands of brutalized people, you would think it would go get punished by the authorities. But in actual fact, according to the government reports in this country, the councils and the police knew about all of these crimes and were complicit in them. And one, I will only draw, say, one particular example that I think underlines just how far this has gone. And this was the case of a man whose daughter was kidnapped uh, by a gang of five men and she was taken to a derelict building. And he found out where she was, called the police, and stood outside the building. And when the police came, they arrested him and left his daughter alone with the five men. And you can guess the rest. Now, this is our country. This, I would like to put this to you, that it's exactly as Solomon described in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. So while you and I perhaps aren't so aware of these kinds of things, our young people, Christadelphians, are very much aware because they have the internet. And they have to live with the knowledge that perhaps we're sheltered from because we have only the mainstream establishment media. So our young people are aware of terrible problems going on in Greece, Italy, Spain, France, Belgium, Germany and the UK, as well as the tremendous almost civil war that seems to be going on among the young people in America. And they have to somehow come to terms with this 
depravity, as well as begin their journey into the truth. So I would suggest to us that we have to focus on our young people and build them up because they face a greater challenge than perhaps we we realise. And we don't live in a perfect universe. We live in a very good world, don't we? The violent oppression by the powerful there is everywhere. And we have another quote from Ecclesiastes. Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So this hard truth is important for us to come to grips with. And if we can, it's important for us to instill this wisdom in our young people. Sometimes, seemingly more often these days, the bad guys are winning and the good guys are suffering. It's often hard to know what those terms even mean these days. Christians are persecuted from the West to the Middle East, to North Korea, to China. And God is maligned and Jesus ridiculed and scoffers are free to believe in all kinds of pagan myths and legends and fantastic beliefs without any criticism. The West turns a blind eye to violent religions. Do we have a problem with that? Would we rather have a perfect universe and a perfect world with instant justice? Instant karma, as they call it. Wouldn't it be great if after a driver pulled out in front of you, his car would break down two minutes later and you roared past in the fast lane? Or if someone short changed you in a shop, the money in their pockets fell through a hole and rolled towards you? Or if someone got angry and shouted at you, they would get a sore throat and lose their voice? What about this redistribution of wealth from rich to poor that we hear about from politicians? Wouldn't that be great? It sounds wonderful. And it sounds just, but is, of course, only appealing to our flesh. Unfortunately, if we had that perfect universe, we would have to live in it as well. So if we gossiped about someone, our tongue would turn green. Every time we lusted after another person, more of our hair would fall out or we'd grow that little bit more flabby. Every time we thought critical thoughts about someone, our sins would appear sign written in front of our house. Every time we lied, our nose would grow bigger. Would you and I want to live in a world like that? None of us could stand up to that kind of instant justice from God. God's patience with sin is an incredible blessing. If God wasn't so patient, all of us would come under his immediate judgment we'd be wiped out in the blink of an eye. Fortunately, God grants us his mercy and grace. Even in this world, in courts of law, it's a principle that it's better for the guilty to go free than an innocent man to go to prison. How much more, then, is God patient, not just only just with his chosen, but is patient with his judgment? He's patient not just with us, but he's patient with the unjust, the wicked. It's a huge lesson for us to rethink our attitude towards those we see around us, 
towards all this criminality and this complicity, towards all of the hidden and terrible things going on. Our lesson is that it should lead us to be humble too. We should be prepared to be merciful and gracious, even with sinners. To have compassion for those who are in the grips of sin, under the influence of the curse, under the influence of false teaching, under the influence of violent culture. While they are alive, they have the chance to repent. In Proverbs 28, verse 5, we read, Evildoers do not understand what is right, but those who seek Yahweh understand it fully. But in the meantime, of course, we look on with pain in our hearts. We read in Second Peter 2, Righteous Lot was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. So why is all this a fulfilment of prophecy? What's the, where's the silver lining in any of this? Apart from the lesson that we should be humble towards sinners, we should be humble and merciful towards sinners as God is merciful and patient towards us. What else can we learn that will buoy us up about the things that we see around us. Well, the rumours of wars. Rumours of wars. There are rumours of wars in many parts of Europe. Not countries, but internally. There are no-go areas where, if the police were to go there, they would have grenades thrown at them. In America, there's... Hardly a day goes by without some violence erupting. This morning, uh, a man who was protesting some uh, freedom of speech uh, and against the encroachment of violent Islam died of a heart attack on the street while he was, while he was protesting. And the people on the other side of the road laughed. They made light of that. There are these cultural wars may yet erupt into civil war. After all, we've seen it before in Spain, and we've seen it in France. It's happened in Germany that ordinary democracies can erupt violently and give rise to violence quite quickly. These roaring seas, they are coming our way, aren't they? We know a storm is approaching. And anyone who lives by the sea can tell ahead of time when a storm is approaching because the winds of false teaching out there in the ocean, as they blow across the surface of the water, they generate waves. And some waves travel faster than others. And so before the storm ever reaches the shore, you can see very long waves coming on the shore. And those long wavelengths they're signs that there's violence out at sea. Now, as the storm approaches closer, the smaller waves can reach us. They travel slower. So it's exactly as we're told in Scripture. The sea and the waves roaring, but also those labour pains, 
that start off slow and increase in frequency as the as Jesus is coming back. Those labour pains are already on us. We're already seeing the waves of violence and the waves of disruption and disobedience all over the world. It can only get worse, and we know it will, and we need to be ready. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint in terror, apprehensive of what's coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And also the judgment, the righteous judgment of the nations. Come near, we read in Isaiah 34. Come near, you nations, and listen. Pay attention, you peoples. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry with all nations. His wrath is on all their armies. He will totally destroy them. He will give them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out. Their dead bodies will stink. The mountains will be soaked with their blood. All the stars in the sky will be dissolved and the heavens rolled up like a scroll. All the starry host will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. And knowing what we know about the complicity of those in power, it's hardly surprising that we see in those prophecies that the star, those signs and the sun, moon and stars and the, the heavenly bodies will be shaken and the starry host will fall like withered leaves from their positions of power where they've been oppressing people. Knowing all of this then, are we standing up? Are we lifting up our heads? Because speaking personally, I feel like the knowledge of this, this kind of civil problem everywhere, the knowledge of that has been, has decimated my, my train of thought really spiritually. I felt like I'm becoming more and more depressed with just how brutal the reality really is. So, how do we counter this, this vision of, of depressing reality? How do we, as it were, live like Lot, who was tormented in his soul, but also how do we lift our heads up and have that joy? It's a great question, isn't it? I'm sure that a lot of the answer comes from the community in which we live. It's a paragon of what a healthy, loving community should be. And if we see anywhere that it isn't, we should address that personally. I'd just like to read a few verses from Isaiah 35 to try to buoy us up against this oncoming storm. We read in verse 1 of chapter 35, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Have you ever seen, I think in Wisley in Surrey, there's a, a whole flood of crocuses there across the lawn. This vision of a new beginning, as it were, a second earthly creation to go along with the spiritual new creation. A vision of flowers of white and purple and gold. This renewal in righteousness, 
loyalty and purified faith. As we read in Peter earlier, we have the praise, the honour and the glory. The praise for your faith, the honour given to royal authority and the glory of righteousness. We read in verse 5, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. No more illness, no more pain, no more infection, rheumatism, skin diseases, deformity, suffering, agony, cancer. No more heart breathing problems, nothing taken away. No more injustice, oppression or hatred. No more competing rights, legal cases settled in favour of the vic- of, against the victim. No more political games, no more false promises, no more irreverent anger, no more scoffing. We have the most amazing vision. And how do we get to this place that's described in Isaiah 35? Well, it's been made easy for us. A highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go on about it. A highway is an easy way to your destination, a straight, flat, clean, unobstructed road to redemption of communication with God. It goes from exactly where you are in your journey to the kingdom of God. And best of all, you don't even have to walk that entire road. At the moment of God's choosing, he calls you to the end immediately. So when the highway seems to stretch off beyond the horizon and all around either side there seems so much wilderness and spiritual corruption, remember that at the moment of God's choosing, you will be at your destination, either through death or through the coming of Jesus. Only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Can you imagine being overtaken by gladness and joy? Being accepted not just by someone you're in love with, but being accepted by the creator of heaven. Being accepted by his son that died for you. Being at one with them, at one with every brother and sister you've ever known. Being at one in purpose and in mind and in intent and imagination and happiness and joy with every example that we've read about in scripture. Doesn't that sound nice? 
being overtaken with joy. Everything you didn't know you could feel and didn't know you could be, without shadow or reservation, with no double-mindedness, no doubts or fears, and a knowledge of something absolutely real that you always knew was real. We read in Romans 5, we also rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character, and character hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. Through faith you are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Have you ever smelled a rose? And as you begin to smell it, it's a wild one, so it has a scent. As you begin to smell it, you're overtaken with the scent. It's an amazing scent, something you couldn't have imagined, something you know you love but you've forgotten it since last time. Maybe you can even smell it now. It's something that once you start to breathe it in, you can't stop breathing it in. You have to breathe it all in until you can't breathe it in anymore. That's what it means to be overtaken with joy and happiness. It's everything we were made to be. So when we see political violence and oppression instead of justice, we must always take sides. We must always take God's side. We must be honest. We must be true to his teachings. We have an opportunity, while it's called today, to turn from the inward-looking, sort of self-satisfiedness that we have about us, the judgment of others. We have a duty to turn away from our own self-pity about the problems we've got, and how we feel. And our duty is to set our minds outwards towards those we can witness to and help practically. And the beauty is that as these storms overtake the country, there are more and more people who are ready and willing to hear a message as beautiful as ours especially if we show that we don't judge those who sin. We may dislike what they do, but by loving that person into the fold, we stand a much greater chance of showing them the beauty of the hope we have and share. I know that I've recently fallen into the trap of criticising rather than of presenting an alternative, which I shall now be doing. So when we're called away, let it not be said by any who knew us, the people around us who know us now, wonder what happened to them? Have we ever thought of writing letters to everyone we know, leaving them in our home for that day when it's empty? It's a thought, isn't it? Assuming that we did write such letters, would we dare to give them to our friends right now? Before we're called away. How much faith do we really have? How much embarrassment are we willing to suffer if we truly have love in our hearts, knowing what we know about the truth, 
knowing what we know about what's coming, like Jonah did. Let's learn the lesson of Jonah and try to get over our embarrassment, our fear of rejection and of trouble, our fear of being seen as racist even. I don't know. The fear is unknowable, isn't it? Instead of recoiling at the horror, let's expand in love by telling our friends what's happening and what to do about it now. And if not now, then to accept Jesus when he comes, when we're gone. I should think many of our friends will be desperate to have a conversation with us about what to do when we've gone, but they won't have us present at that time. Lastly, we read in Proverbs 21, verse 15, Doing justice brings joy to the righteous and terror to those who do evil. And isn't it true that both feelings of joy and terror can lead people to repentance? So by being prepared to be just in our outlook, to be merciful and loving and humble and learn the lessons that God is teaching us in his patience and learn the lessons of Jonah in being prepared to walk into these hostile places and find people for God, we can lead people towards God, towards repentance. We can and we should set our faces resolutely towards the coming kingdom to stand up for God and to look up to him, to be prepared to do the work of witness and of joyful happiness that's been set before us, to give it our all in these closing days, just as our master did, whose example of courageous and selfless dedication to loving his father and his brothers and sisters, we are going to remember now in the bread and wine.